I want to talk about uh, depravity, about sinners. Now, there's something we say that is actually not true. People say basically that we are sinners because we sin. But the real truth is that we sin because we are sinners. And we have to come to the question of free will. Are we free? Uh, what are we free to choose? Is it that we are totally free to choose whatever we want and become whatever we want? Is that, is that really true? Is that what freedom of will means or freedom of choice means? But in reality, that is not the true meaning of freedom of will. Freedom of will doesn't mean we are free to choose whatever we want. We are free to choose God. We are free to choose righteousness. It doesn't mean that freedom, our freedom in some way is limited. Let me prove that to you now. For example, we could say basically, I'm free to fly. I want to fly. But you might say, oh, make other statement, I am free to fly. But can you fly? You can't fly. You don't have the apparatus to fly. So in a sense, your free will is limited in that sense. You cannot fly because you say you want to fly. You don't have the, you have the choice to fly. You can choose to fly, but you cannot fly. So your free will is limited to a certain sense. For just, this, this is not um, an insult to people who are, uh, have a disability. But imagine someone basically is handicapped, is on is a on the wheelchair and he cannot walk. The man may choose that, be uh, free to say, I choose to walk. But in reality, this man cannot walk because his free will is already limited to what he can do. So in every sense, human beings, our free will is limited. So when we are saying we have free will, we have free will, it doesn't mean that we have total free will to choose whatever we want. Our free wills are limited. So our wills basically are limited to what we are by nature. And from my understanding of life and scriptures, basically, we are sinners by nature. So what we are free to choose, our free will is basically to choose sin. That's what we are free to choose. And everybody comes to this reality at some point in their life. And basically, it says human beings are totally flawed. We will make statements like, no one is holy, no one is perfect, no one is righteous. And what do we do with all these our problems? Since nobody can choose righteousness, how do we now deal with the problems in the world. Sometimes we can even come to statements and say basically we can imagine the world without without liars, without cheaters, without rapists, without fornicators, without homosexuals, without pedophiles, without uh, murderers. They are making the world so bad for us. And basically we basically say when we are making those statements, we are excluding ourselves from those statements because we ourselves forget that we ourselves are liars. We are cheaters. And we create all these ideals. And when we create all these ideals, we ourselves don't meet the ideals. It's just like a teacher setting an exam for pupils, uh, for students, basically. And the student, if the teacher himself cannot pass that same exam that he's setting for his students. It's a total disgrace for the teacher. It's a total failure for the teacher. So we ourselves are total failures to ourselves because we set ideals for people to pass, for people to follow, when we ourselves are not following these ideals. So we, we find out basically in reality that our free wills are limited because we want to be like this, we want to meet these ideals, but in reality we are not meeting these ideals, which shows that our free will is limited. And since we find out that we, don't, we cannot meet these ideas, what happens? We begin to accommodate. 
we begin to reduce these ideals and basically create a ranking system. And basically it says, because I've not fornicated, this guy that I've fornicated is worse than me. Or someone like Hitler is worse than me. Or that guy that is a rapist is worse than me. Or this person that is basically a pedophile is worse than me. Or an homosexual is worse, a homosexual is basically worse than me. And we create this kind of ranking system to accommodate to our own selves so that we can feel righteous within ourselves. And basically say, this person is worse than me. So I am better than the person. So we now begin to reduce the ideals. But one thing I need to say is that these ideals that we create ourselves basically reflect in our natures that God has truly written laws in our hearts. God has truly written laws in our hearts that He expects us to follow. That's why we have these ideals in our hearts. That's why we can be able to differentiate what is actually good and what is actually wrong. There's nobody that can deny in any reality, in any culture, that incest is bad. Incest is a sin. It's not even heard among unbelievers. There's nothing, nobody can deny that. That's because of the law of God written in our heart. So when we are saying you have free will, our free wills are limited. Now, so when we know this reality, what about to God? God still commands us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and will. God's standard is still perfection. This is what God wants. These are his standards. And we understand basically that from Adam's fall, when Adam sinned, we also fell with Adam. When Adam sinned, he affected the whole human race. That's why we are sinners by nature. That's why you don't even need to teach a baby uh, how to lie. He already knows how to lie from birth. All you need to teach him is how to do right. So from the fall of Adam, we all inherited that sin nature within us. So we need to understand that. But when Adam fell, and all of us by our inheritance from Adam have become sinners, it doesn't mean that God's standard has changed. God basically, from Adam's time, when Adam was perfect and innocent, God basically commanded Adam, love me with your heart, soul, and mind. So when Adam fell and the old human race fell, that command did not change. So how does God basically reconcile this is problem? The creatures basically are not able to do what he's commanding them to do. It's totally clear that they are not able to choose him. They are not able to love him with all their heart, soul, and body. So what does God do? How does God basically solve this problem? It's just like, let me give an illustration. It's just like a father has a problem with a child. Uh, and he makes some ideals for his child to follow. And the child basically doesn't follow these ideals. He basically says, I want my child to be an engineer. And he find out basically later on that this child cannot be an engineer. No matter how he tries to feed this child into the image of the engineer, the child doesn't meet that standard. And one thing the father basically or the parents basically come to find is that they themselves cannot solve this problem. They have to let and despise the child and let the child go. They try it again with another child. It doesn't work out again. The child doesn't meet their ideal. So what about God? The ultimate being, the one who is greater than us. Can God actually solve this problem? Can he actually mold us to actually fit the image that he wants us to be? It's totally clear that as I've reflected that we ourselves... 
might be able to do good things. When I say we are sinners by nature, it doesn't mean that we cannot do good things. No, that's not what it means. And basically, I'm saying by nature, we, we should sin. And in, in this our lifetime, we battle between choosing sin and choosing righteous things. And some people can even do um, good a lot of times than even the times that they do evil. But once in the Bible, the basic guy says that we cannot ultimately choose the good. That is the good one, who is God. If by nature, basic guy would choose sin, if by nature we try our best as possible and manage to choose good things or do good things, if we are battling with Darren, then we ourselves cannot also choose the good one, which is God. It's totally impossible for us to choose the good one himself. And the Bible basically says that, that all of us are haters of God by our very natures. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2 also reflects this that I'm saying here, this statement I'm making. Ephesians 2 basically says this. It says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So by nature, this is what we have been doing. God is commanding us to love him, but we cannot love him by our nature. We choose sin. Every time and time again, we choose sin. We can never, ever choose God, who is the ultimate good one. So, how does God solve this problem? How does he solve his own problem? That he wants this person to be molded into his image. But now, the person is not agreeing to be molded into that image. The person is rebellious against him. He's hating him. But his standard still remains. And he doesn't fall this standard because of anyone. And sometimes, maybe if the, for a parent, basically, if this uh, child, basically, is, is, uh, that came out of him, doesn't meet those standards, sometimes they may disown the child. And what happens, basically, as we are God's creations, if we don't meet his standards, in the end, we are going to perish. He's going to despise us. He's going to throw us into the pit of hell. Now, how does God solve this problem? And there are some people that have brought up different kinds of solutions. And basically, he says that the way to solve this problem, since we cannot choose God, how do we solve this problem? We basically see how we can force man to choose God. And basically, they say the reason why man cannot choose God is not because they are seen as menaceous. It's basically the methods that were using, the message that were given to men. That is why they cannot choose God. And the big guy says, uh, believers, stop preaching about repentance. Stop preaching about the, this God that sends people to hell or this God of wrath. Start preaching the message of love. Tell, the, tell the, the sinner that God wants him to be rich. God doesn't want him to suffer. And they basically look at what are man's problems. Man needs love. 
man needs money. Man doesn't want to be sick. And basically, they say, let's accommodate these problems. And when we can tell people basically that God can solve this problem for them, then they will begin to love God. And they don't paint a full image of God. They just say, God just loves you the way you are. And one thing that does is basically give people a false image of God. It gives people false conversions. Because they believe that they are worshipping God when they are not worshipping the true God in reality. And the Bible basically says that we are like the gods that we serve. So if you believe God is just all-loving, not judgmental, you can accept anything, you'll find out that you yourself will be a reflection of the God that you worship. You'll find out that you start living a sinful life because your God doesn't care. For example, if you, if you make uh, a footballer your idol, let me say you are, you, are, you are one who loves football, and you make someone like Messi your idol, you keep on watching Messi play ball, look at the kind of styles that you, uh, he plays, you find out over time that you you actually be molded into the image of Messi. That you could actually meet the standard of this guy, Messi, that you have painted as your ideal. As your idol. You become more like Messi in the long run. So these are what we see from reality. And why do I say basically that this is... Uh, a false conversion brings about false image of God. Is this that these people may think that they are in relationship with God, but they are not in relationship with God? Let me give you an illustration. Imagine that you are you are a lady and you are chatting with this guy on social media, and this guy basically sends you an image of full guy, very fine guy, bright guy, and he's talking with you, chatting with you, and this guy is so friendly and you love him very very interesting guys making you laugh and all that and you'll find out that your your affections have grown for this guy you actually come to love this guy like you have entrusted yourself to this guy that i'm ready to marry him even though i've not yet seen him in reality now this guy basically arranges you to meet you up and he arranges to meet you up and basically in reality people actually see and when you come into reality what you find out is that the image of this guy that they sent you isn't the image in, that is in your front. You are basically seeing someone that is totally different. You are seeing maybe a man that doesn't, cannot even walk. He's on a wheelchair. The face is totally different. The person, the image that was sent to you of a very, very fine guy is totally different. You are now seeing maybe a black guy in your front. And the funny thing is that this same guy that you are seeing in your front is boring. It's not even funny. Like the one that is chatting with you. And another amazing thing is that this guy that is in your front doesn't even know you. Because all the while that you are, might have been thinking he was the one chatting with you, it was, it was his friend that was chatting with you. It was his friend's image that he sent to you. It was his friend too that was also chatting with you. That was the funny guy. And you are thinking that this is the guy that you love. And you actually meet this person in reality. What happens basically? A heartbreak. Because you can't fall in love with this is not the guy that you love. This is not the image that was brought to you. You saw a rich guy on social media. This was the image that you have basically believed all your life. And another person is shown to you in reality. How can you fall in love with this? And what happens basically? You find out that the lady runs away and says, no, this is not what, this is not what I signed up for. 
And that is what happened basically. When we give people a false image of God, when the day of judgment actually comes, when God reveals himself, these people will run away from God. Because this is the person, this is not the person that they entrusted themselves to. This is not the person that they felt that they were in relationship to. And God himself, the true God, actually doesn't know them. When they themselves have believed that, he knew them. And they were in relationship with each other. But they were actually in a relationship with the first God. So they themselves have had false conversions. They've just converted into a false God, into a false religion. So that method doesn't work out. So one thing we need to understand is that when there is a problem with a creation, for example, I'm a manufacturer and I manufacture a product, a product and this product is not meeting my specification. It's not the product problem to meet my specification, to correct that error. It's not the pro- uh, product problem. Then I will not be saying, oh yeah, product, uh, product, correct your error. I know this is a very bad analogy between the creator and the creation. That is between God and us because we are not inanimate objects. But in as much as it's a bad analogy, there's, I'm just trying to illustrate the relationship between the creator and the creation. So you as a manufacturer, it's still your responsibility to correct that error within the creation, within that product. So that is why it's not our responsibility to change ourselves. It's not our responsibility, basically, to solve our own problems. It's not God's problem because it's God that has set the standard. It's God that has set the specification. And this creation is creation. It's not meeting that standard. It's not his own problem to solve that standard. There are some of our brethren, basically, that basically says the way we are to change the message that we don't preach repentance and tell people to stop fornicating, stop sinning, stop uh, uh, stealing, let everybody just be doing good and let everybody, let's just preach love. There's another set of our brethren who says, no, what we need to do is change the style. That the way people can love God, the way people can choose God is for us to change the style. Let's not begin to Christianize the world. That's the way they now basically say. And basically he says, what are the things that people love in the world? And the basically he says, look at, people believe, maybe people, these people are believing that Christians are hard-hearted people, that you cannot be cool and be a Christian at the same time. And this is what it, these are their ideas. And the basically he says, we need to change that. We need to change that concept. So, the word this is the style of music that they love and they basically say what we have to do is basically change the lyrics but we can still give them the same beats we can still give them what they want and they will start coming to church they will start loving god they will start loving god from their hearts but all, the, all that happens basically is it's still a first conversion sometimes you may even say let the pastor stop wearing suits let the pastors now begin to dress like the way the world dress. Let's, no, sorry, <laughs> that was a very, very bad language. But let the pastor just begin to dress cool. Can wear sneakers, just wear suits. That suit mentality is, uh, 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 is affecting the people. They cannot relate to the pastor. They are not feeling like you can be cool and be a Christian. You must always be the hard person. Like I said, the Christian life is always a hard life. So they want to change the image of that. And they say basically, if you change the method, basically, people will not begin to choose God on their own. People will not be able to love God. But in reality, this doesn't happen. Nothing still happens. Because 
if you are familiar with music, most of the time, people that listen to music, they don't listen to it because of lyrics. Some people, they, you could hear some songs and you'll be wondering what is making people to actually enjoy this song. The lyrical content is bad. So you changing the lyrics doesn't mean that they now love Jesus or they now love God. You are still giving them what they want. That's why they are still coming to your church. It doesn't mean that because you have changed it to Jesus, then they now love Jesus. It doesn't happen in reality. So, the way we have reflected it from scriptures, basically, saying that people are haters of God, and what we are seeing in reality is totally different. We see people who are attending church, we see people who are, uh, who are praying and behaving as if when they need, have time of need, they pray. But even though their lives are not living in consistent with the faith, but they still pray, they still attend church, sometimes they read their Bibles. Doesn't that prove that People are not haters of God. But I will tell you in reality, that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove that they love God. That doesn't prove that they are no longer haters of God by their very nature. Because we see people coming to church, that doesn't prove that they are no haters of uh, God. Because, for example, if you are, uh, I don't know why I keep on using ladies as the example, but for uh, uh a lady could be following a guy that has money and could actually be pretending to love this guy, be going everywhere with this guy, giving this guy sex that he needs. And this guy uh, could be deceived that this guy even actually loves him. But in reality, this girl hates this guy. She can't stand this guy. But the reason why she's just there is basically for the money, for what she wants from this guy so them coming to church them praying to god doesn't prove that they love god they are just using god they just love the things of god they just love the things that god has to offer but they don't love god himself and that's not what god wants god actually wants us to love him for himself not actually to love the things that he can offer so we need to understand that it's not the method that can make people to begin to love God. It's God himself that has to transform people to love him. Like the way the, uh, the, product, the manufacturer has to solve his own problem. God himself has to solve his own problem with the creation. And God has to recreate his creation. For the creation to be able to meet his standards once again. As the manufacturer will be able to recreate his product. For him to meet his set points, for him to meet his specifications. That is the way God will have to recreate his creation for the creation to be able to love him. So we have to understand this, understand the true nature of depravity. Because once we don't understand depravity rightly, then we can be able to believe in that his methods. I'm not saying that because is everything is going to be God that is going to save people, it's going to be God, uh, the Holy Spirit that is going to work in the lives of people. It doesn't mean that we should not be able to be creative in our messages, we should not be able to uh, have arguments with people trying to convince them of the gospel. No, Paul believed that people are haters of God by their very nature, Paul believed that people are dead in their sins, Paul believed that people are depraved. But Paul still went to the synagogues, he still went to the uh. To, yeah, the synagogue to debate with the Jews to prove that Christ is actually in the scriptures. 
Even though Paul himself actually believed that these people could not choose God on their very own. But what we need to understand is this. This preaching is the means by which God brings about the salvation of the people. It's the means by which the Holy Spirit brings about the salvation of the people. Not the methods in themselves. The method in themselves doesn't bring people to love God. It's the Holy Spirit that works through those means to bring them to salvation. So if the Holy Spirit doesn't work, your methods are going to work to, uh, avail to nothing, end up in nothing. Basically, if the Holy Spirit doesn't work, your methods are going to end up in nothing. So when we understand that it's the Holy Spirit that actually saves, our minds are now becoming free that it's not about the message that we are preaching, that's why people do not love God, or it's not about the style or the method, but it's actually because of their very nature, they are eaters of God, they are sinners, they are depraved. And the only way that this problem can be solved is God Himself. Man cannot solve the problem. God has not given us the free will to change any method to accommodate the world. To say, no, change the lyrics of the song, change the, uh, the worship style. You can worship me how you, however you want to worship me. Me, as far as people are just coming to the faith, that is all I just want. As far as you are bringing people to the church, as far as you are bringing people to me, then it doesn't matter what kind of methods that you use. The methods that we use to worship God matters. God has not given us the free will to do all that. The freedom to choose uh, to do all these things to accommodate the world. God cares about the way we worship Him. So, that is what we need to understand. And the moment we understand that human beings are depraved, they are sinners by nature, then we see the need that man of himself cannot solve his own problem. God has to solve his problem. So, we have to see the Bible as a book of God's solution to God's problem. It's not man's problem because, basically, there are some people that are living rebellious life, living sinful lifestyles and they don't even have any problem with it. It doesn't even, their consciences are not even pricked that what they are doing is even wrong. So this is God's problem, not man's problem. And the Bible basically reveals to us how God actually solves this problem. And when you solve this problem, when you look at the scriptures, you'll be able to understand how this problem of God is actually solved. So it's not a method it's none of the message because the message is still the same. We have to preach the true image of God. We don't have to preach the image that the unbelievers or the sinners will like. We preach the true God as he has been revealed in scriptures. And the people who have to love him the way he is. And the only way people can love him, the only way sinners can love God the way he is, is God has to change them. God has to recreate them to be able to love Him the way He is. I'll conclude with that.